Welcome back to The Prayer Project. My name is Daniel, and today is a really good day because we're talking about a topic that's really been on my heart, kind of really been on my heart lately, and I want to talk about it and really just dive into what Scripture says about it. It's answering the question or really trying to navigate through the question, why should I give my life to Christ? And I feel like this is obviously this episode is more geared toward non-believers, someone who doesn't Someone who isn't a Christian, someone who doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. Maybe you acknowledge God, oh God exists, but you don't have, you know, you don't believe it, you don't pursue Christ, you don't grow in your relationship with Him. You know, and that's okay. I mean, I'd prefer you did. You know, I want you to. I want to see you in heaven. I want you to see experience and joy and peace and comfort and all of these things that God God gives us. But it's not. This may sound weird, but it's not bad to not believe in God, but it's better to. And I guess we'll kind of get into that today. But before we start, I'm ready to, I want to read a passage of scripture. It's Matthew 10, 15 to 23. And it reads, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to, their, to, to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak, or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of the Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. That verse is... When I first read it, you know, when I was in high school, it was kind of scary. And like, intimidating. Because basically is what it's saying... Like that, um, what verse is it? I mean, you look through it. It is verse 18? Well, it says, you will be hated for my name's sake. I don't know, I can't find it, but. Yeah, it says you will be hated for my name's sake. For whose name? For the name of Jesus. You will be hated. No one wants to be hated. Why would I, why would I want to be hated? Everyone wants to be wanted, right? Want everybody to like you. Not cause any problems, no drama, just, you know, just living life. But the thing here is, we as Christians choose to be hated by the world because we'd rather stand before the world and stand before God. I mean, one day we all will stand before God in judgment, but we weren't created for this world. <laughs> Excuse me. We weren't created for this world. We were created for a different one. We were created for heavenly things. And that's comforting. It's comforting to know that this world here isn't our home. 
And that's what I want people to know and to find comfort in. That this world is temporary. I know that that can be dangerous because, oh, if it's temporary, then I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to experience all that I can. But here's another thing. Oops. You were created by God. Not just by Him. You were created like Him. In the image of God. But the difference is, I mean, that doesn't mean you are God. You're like Him, but you're not Him. Because he lived a sinless life. Us as humans are sinful. We're full of sin. And without Jesus, we wouldn't have this relationship we have with God. With God the Father that we do. We, we as humans are instinctively evil. You know, when a little kid's born, no one teaches them to lie. They already know how to lie. No one teaches anyone how to do anything evil. It's just instinct. It's just built into us. That's how we are. That's our nature. And if we live in that nature, not when I mean, we do. But if we don't try to break free of that, these things holding us back. Filling our lives with emptiness, with lies that aren't fruitful. We're not growing. We're not experiencing joy. We're not experiencing peace. Why would you want to live like that? Because Satan has his hand on you. He wants to keep you in your depression, in your anxiety, in your bad self-talk, in your I'm worthless Oh, I can't do this. I'll never amount up to anything. No one will ever love me. All of those things that Satan tells you are lies. Why? I'm being on some personal experience here, but why is it? Well, for me, I'll just take it on my point. For me, when I had those bad self-talks, because I used to have them all the time in high school and a little bit through, and through college. For me, it felt like it was always... Like it had been there or someone else had put it there. Because I wouldn't tell myself these things. It was almost, I would remind myself of that this is already here. It sounds weird, but that's how it felt. It's not like I would come up with it and say, oh yeah, I'm not worth anything. It would be like, oh yeah, I forgot. I'm already not worth anything. Is almost how it was. But that's not how we were designed. You see, God, you know, he intentionally created us with metacognition, which is the ability to think about our thoughts. God didn't create us, give us that to think bad things about ourselves, to sit on the fact that, oh, no one's ever going to love me. Oh, I, I suck. Oh, all these things. No. No. And you might be thinking, oh, well, God wasn't there to help me out of that. Oh, why wasn't God there to... No. He was there. You were just so focused on the bad that was happening. You didn't see the good. You didn't see God. Because you were so focused on yourself or what you're going through or what's happening to you because you made it about you and not about God. And this life has never been about you. It never has been and it never will be. 
Because it's always been about God. And we forget that. Even me as a Christian, I forget that. I forget that this life is about God. It was never about me. Genesis one twenty seven, For God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God created man in his own image. He looked at himself, at his perfect sinless self, and said, I'm going to make man exactly like this. But we were so filled with sinful nature that we ate from the apple. And sin entered the world. Because we wanted to be like God. When we already were created in the image of God. So what were we chasing after? I don't know. That's the one thing I want to ask God. Was why put the tree if you knew we were going to fall? I feel like there's an answer to that, but (laughs) I just haven't studied it myself. We were created in his image. We were made by God, like God, but we will never be God because of how sinful we are. And the trap that Satan has on you, on your life, can be broken. You see, Jesus, he was born from a virgin. He had a pure birth, almost. And like, you know, she wasn't. She was a virgin. He, he was born from her. And Jesus died on a cross for you. Oh, but no, church is boring though. Now nah, those Christians are the same. They always shove God down their throat. You know, sometimes I feel like shoving it down people's throat because of how important it is. Because of how much God loves you. And I need, I want, and to an ex- almost extent, need people to hear. I know I need people to hear that. That God loves you. Even when it feels like no one else does, God does. He loves you so much. Enough to die for you. He literally died for you. He didn't just say that as an expression. Oh, bro, I would die for you. No, he was beat, spat upon. He wore a crown of thorns that was pressed into his head. He was flogged. If you don't know what flogging is, it's a method of torture that the Romans used to use. They would tie... They would take take off their shirt so their back would be exposed, like the prisoner or whoever, in this case, Jesus. And they would have a whip with different pieces of long strands of leather. And they would tie sharp pieces of glass or whip, or not whip, tar- tie sharp pieces of glass or bones or like teeth and whip their back so that when they whip them, they would stab them into their back and they would pull it and it would leave lacerations all along their back I don't know how many times I think it was 40 times it was flogged something like that for you because he loves you 
not it's just not, and on top of that, he carried a wooden cross. He had to carry it. Imagine getting flogged as he did, and then having to carry a cross through the city up a mountain. Like a hill. Excuse me. A wooden cross on his back. He had to carry on his back again. With the wounds open and the splendors going into his wounds. Pieces wood scraping on his back because he's too tired from carrying it. So it's sliding around. He's trying to get a good grip on it. But it's ripping open his wounds again. He's carrying the cross to his own death. And they nail him to the cross. You see the Romans, the, the crucifixion wasn't created by the Mormons. Ro Mormons. Romans. I forget, I don't want to say the Persians it was created by, but the Romans perfected it. They perfected a prolonged death, a painful death. You see, people, you know, a lot of times we think that it was in Jesus, the middle of his palm that he was nailed by his hands. No, no, no. It was in his wrist between the bones so he could hang there. And the way they angled the body was that so that he would, arms stretched out, but when his feet would be nailed lower, so that his arms would be above his head, his lungs collapsing, so that he would have to come up, pull himself, use what strength he had to pull himself up on the cross to take a big deep breath of air, opening his wounds on his back again, and splinters of wood going into his wounds, and then falling back down again because he doesn't have enough strength to hold himself up because his feet are nailed to the cross. And you might think, why? Because he was thinking of you. He pictured you in his mind and he said, because I love you. Because he loves you. He loves you so much that he'd suffered through all of that. Because he said, no, I love them. And they will not experience this death. Even though they deserve it, even though we deserve that death. He said, no, I'll take it upon myself because I love my children. And you get and you're saying to yourself that you're worthless. You're letting Satan tell you you're worthless, that you're not worth anything, that no one will ever love you. God loves you. That's the greatest love one could ever experience. He loves you so much. You see, but society tells me that oh you'll never be enough if you don't have if possessions. I don't need anything when I have God. You don't need anything when you have God. Because when you have God, you have all that you need. And that's so beautiful. So I ask you. Why don't you give your life to God? Is there something holding you back? Are you too comfortable in what you have right now? Because you know when the moment you start to pursue Christ, you'll lose all of it. If that's the case, that means you need to let go of all of it. You need to let go of those relationships, of those that job or whatever it may be, those that sin you're stuck in. Because you know it's sin. 
but you're too scared to live because it's comfortable. It's safe. And as soon as you accept Christ into your life, that light will shine down in that darkness and all of it will be exposed and you won't be comfortable anymore. But you see, there's freedom in not being comfortable. There's freedom in exposing the darkness, having light shine in on your life. There's so much freedom. But you're too comfortable to let God in. He wants to come in. He won't force himself. Just as much as I, I won't force you to do anything, God won't force his love and his mercy and his grace and his peace and his comfort. He won't force it on you. But he'll wait at the door and let you open it for him. Because he wants you to make the decision. He's not going to force himself on you. He wants you to let him, let him in. He wants you. He wants to build a relationship with you. He genuinely does. He truly, genuinely does. But why don't you let him in? And Jeremiah twenty nine eleven reads, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. You see, God has a plan for you, for you to prosper and to have a good future and have hope. Not for evil things, not to tear you down, not to destroy you, but for to prosper. But we think, oh, no, I'm building my career, I'm making money. That's not success. That's not true success. True success is having a close relationship with God and knowing that even if you have money or not, you're still the happiest person on earth because you have the joy of the Lord in you. That's true success, in my opinion. And scriptural and biblical, whatever. I don't even know what I'm trying to say, but I think that's real success. If anything can happen to you, any trial, any storm can come into your life, and you can say, yes, this hurts, this is painful, but I know God is with me, so I will be okay. That is true success. That's how many millionaires or celebrities have all this money, yet they still feel like they're missing something. Or they commit suicide because they're depressed. You think, why? They had everything. Did they? But did they have everything? Did they have the love of God? The peace of God? The joy of God? If they had everything, why did they? How come they... Money doesn't define success. I'll tell you that right now. Money does not define success. Only God defines success. Because he has a plan for you. Better than you have for yourself. Isn't it comforting to know that a perfect God who didn't who's who has never sinned? We sin daily. He has never not once sinned in his entire existence. Even when Jesus walked this earth, he didn't sin whatsoever. He created a plan for us that is perfect, that was designed for us specifically to prosper us and to give us a hope. 
And I think that's so beautiful. That I can trust him and know that no matter what happens, it's for the good of God. Because all that I do isn't done because of me. I just trust God and things happen. I mean, yes, I do take steps, you know, take action on certain opportunities arise and such, but those opportunities would have been possible if it weren't for God. You see, you might think that once you start following Christ, all your life's coming apart, all relationships are ending, losing people. But in reality, you're being molded into what you were meant to be. And that's where your faith is tested. You see, you might lose a lot of stuff. You might feel like your life is falling apart. But that's when God wants you to rely on him. He goes, okay, you want to follow me? I'm going to, I'm going to make you into what, I'm going to sculpt you into what you're called to be, what you're meant to be. So he's going to take off excess things you don't. Jesus, when he was growing up, he was a carpenter. His father Joseph was a carpenter. I'm pretty sure you know he knows a thing or two about building something. He's going to take off the excess. Oh, you don't need that. You don't need this. Here, I'm going to put this better. It's sturdier. It's stronger. Take off this. Shave this off. You don't need any of this. All this is excess. He's going to sculpt you into a stronger person, into a one that's closer to God, that understands him, that can hear him, that can feel the presence of God, that can just... And then when you walk into a room, people just feel love and God and joy. Whoa, what the heck? And that's so, so beautiful. Corinthians, First uh, Corinthians 5.17, I think. Yeah, see the first or second Corinthians. I don't know, it's in my notes, but I just can't read the number. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The new has come. That's so amazing. When you accept Christ, the old you has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You are new. You are transformed. You are not who you used to be. You're a new creation. It's almost like starting over. It's almost like it, you get a you get a redo to some extent. And this this God is just so good. So I ask again. Why should you give your life to God? I th honestly, in my opinion, I, I can't really answer this question. It's hard for me to because I've always been around the cult Jesus culture. You know, I've always grown, like I said, I grew up in the church. I went to church, uh, Christian household and everything. So I was like, well, yeah, duh, because, you know, Jesus loves me, whatever. But <clears throat> I want you to really sit on that. What do you have to lose if you accept Jesus? Is it your comfort? Your security? What is it that you have to lose? Are you losing anything? 
Why are you losing anything? Because I'll, I'll admit, there's a lot I wish I could have. Sometimes, sometimes I wish, oh, like, oh, if I wasn't a Christian, you know, I've had those times where, like, if I didn't love God, I would be doing whatever. But then I'm like, is it really worth blowing off eternity for, like, going like one night or drinking or partying or whatever it may be? Is that really worth it? It's not. It's really not. Because I've experienced the peace of God. I could confidently say one time in my life so far. And it's so beautiful. It's so, so beautiful. Yeah, like it says here in the scripture, Matthew 10... You will be hated for my name's sake, but I can be hated all I want. That doesn't bother me because I have my eyes fixed on Christ. And when my eyes are fixed on Christ, when I am focused and locked in, I don't have anything to worry about. They can say whatever they want with words. What can words do when God gives us promises? What can someone making up a rose, like, oh, you're built like a, you know, whatever, Stray me away from the promises, the promises that God tells us that will come to pass because he is a, he is God. He's God. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the Prince of Peace. See, the world wants peace, but they ignore the Prince of Peace. It's like, what are you, what are you doing? You want peace? Well, you're not going to have it because you ignore God. You've shunned him from society. So much for one nation under God, right? It's on the back of our bills, man. Take any dollar bill, one nation under God. Doesn't look like it. Sure don't feel like it. Oh, but, you know, God bless America. I would like him to. If you stop ignoring him, maybe he will. So I'll ask you once again. But I'll ask you this. Why not give your life to Christ? Why not? What happens if you don't? Or I mean, what happens if you do? Ephesians 1.7 In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. In him we have redemption through his blood. The blood that he spilled on that cross is our redemption. It's the forgiveness of our sins, of our trespasses. You know what he said when he was hanging on that cross? On that cross, cross. You know what he said? He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He was on, he's, he looked at the people who were crucifying him and he said, forgive them. Instead of God, save me from this cross. Save me, Lord. He said, Lord, forgive them. What? Instead of trying to get off, he said, no. 
Father, touch their heart. They don't know what they're doing. Ephesians 2.13. Man, I love Ephesians. Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Notice how everything is by the blood of Christ. See, when Jesus died on that cross for you, he paid the price. He bought you. He purchased you. He paid off the debt. He paid off your debt. What you mean? What debt? Death. I don't know what verses, but it says the wages of sin is death. Are you sinning? Oh, lit. Death. When you sin, it's the sinning is the road to death. You wanna know how to die fast? Sin a lot. But now in Christ Jesus, you were once far off. You have been brought near. You've been brought near to God by the blood of Christ because he died for you. He paid that debt. He paid the price. He said, no, not your blood, but mine. And he hung on the cross and died. But here's the, here's the kicker. Here's the beautiful thing. <laughs> Three days later, he rose again. You see, he paid the debt. Jesus died. But he rose from the dead and defeated death. He defeated... <laughs> he defeated death. Okay, imagine. Take the hardest Elden Ring boss you've ever fought, right? Melania, Flame Giant, whatever. Even the last one, Elden Lord. That's death, right? You were there for like a week. Even, what's his name? At the beginning, the tree centurion, whatever, in Elden Ring. Him, right? You're there, level one. You can't beat him there for a week. In three days, Jesus beats the con the concept of death to Jesus. Oh, what does it say? What verse is that? I got excited. That death has become God's footstool or something, or sin. But like, what do you do with a footstool, right? You put your feet up, you're on the couch, you know, lazy boy. God puts his feet on death and is like, ah, right, death, put my feet up. Huh? That's how great God is. That he defeated death. Sin, where is your power? Death, where is your sting? Christ has defeated death. So, why should you give your life to Christ? Well, he's one, most importantly, he loves you. He thinks of you. He knows you. And he wants to grow in that relationship. He wants to grow a relationship with you. He wants to ease your Heavenly Father. Excuse me. He wants to grow in a relationship with you, too. He wants to forgive you of your sins. He does. He really does. But he won't force himself. He wants you to open the door to your heart and let him in. He wants you to do it. He wants you to initiate. He wants you to want him. It might be none. I don't know if I've said this already, but God already loves you even if you don't love him. He loves you right now as you are. He loves you all the time regardless of what you do. He always loves you. He loves you so, so much.
And three, one final thing I'll leave you with. I know the episode's kind of long, but I had a lot to get out. And three, life may be tough. It may feel like a cycle of a lot of things going on in just an endless loop at times. And you may be wondering, God, where are you in all this? Why am I feeling this way? Why is my anxiety so high? Why is my de- Why am I depressed all the time? Why are these thoughts coming to my mind? Lord, why am I tempted every single day of my life? Why is everything so difficult? But Philippians 4.13, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, who gives me strength. I can be content in any situation I am in because God, because I am relying on God's strength. I can overcome this temptation because I have God's strength in me. I can get through this season because I have God's strength. I'm not doing it by myself. I'm doing it through God, by His strength, not my own, by His. So I ask you, why not give your life to Christ? And find out how much you've been missing out on. So, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know it went a bit long, but God really wanted, and I felt like God really put that on my heart to just, you know, get you to get an image in your head of what, how far God's love goes. So I hope you enjoyed. If you're not already, follow the Instagram. It's the Dot Prayer Project. I think I forgot, <laughs> but you'll see it. The prayer project to get uh, updated on new episodes and we'll post scripture on there. So I hope you have a good day and God bless.